This episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. When you want the best, you have to act fast, especially when hiring for your business. You want to find the most talented people before the competition scoops them up. And the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds top talent fast. In fact, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com Spotify. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to episode 177 of What Most People Think. And what a, what a week we're in here. What a week. It's exactly what you want in the run-up to Christmas, isn't it? It strikes and snow. You know that bit where you have to do loads of shit? The, the real, like, absolute pressure point of December and it's been it's been fucked hard and uh, what, what we get is this uh, phenomenon of people it always happens on snow days is people saying that they can't get into work and some people have legitimate reasons that you know if your train is not going you you can't get there but um it did remind me actually of uh, when I did office work a long a long time ago now and uh, there was a, there was like medium level snow one day and uh, this girl who always loved throwing a sickie anyway she rang in and uh, said to a line manager, uh, "I can't, I can't get in." You know, obviously she has to do the voice of when you're when you're not coming into work. I can't get in, and he was like, um, "Kelly, you know we live two streets down from each other." <laughs> oh, this is a legendary tale. Uh, well, yeah, Kelly, get on the central line and get in. Stop being ridiculous. I mean, I one thing I do remember from that is occasionally having to field those calls. And do people still do the sicky voice? You know, when people ring up and go, "Oh yeah." Yeah, just something about being ill has made me need to whisper. Yeah, I was, I'm, I'm sick, but I'm also in a fucking library. Um, yeah, I've been, I mean, there was there were several cliches, weren't there? Which is, uh, I've, been, I've been up half the night being sick. Oh, half, exactly half the night. Was it half the night being sick? That's a conveniently round number, isn't it? Uh, or in, if it was half the night, which half? Because if it was the first half, I think you're in recovery. Get yourself in. Uh, this is what most people think. This is a podcast, you know. You know, comedy can be a bit like, hey, don't victim blame. You know what? I'm saying that there are a lot of fucking shirkers <laughs> out there in Britain. There are. Be honest with yourself. Post-COVID, there's a lot of people that are still lingering with the idea that that work is a, an occasional favour that they do society. And that really, that bit, that two-year bit, you know, that t- that tiny percentage of their life when they were paid to sit on their fucking arses, uh, that that represents what, what life should be about. It's a solo episode this week. We've got a load, load of little things to catch up on. Obviously, there are the strikes and how that argument and that debate has uh, sort of evolved and playing out in the public eye. And uh, then we've got reactions uh, to Harry and Meghan's documentary, uh, which I had to watch for work. I probably would have watched it anyway. I mean, it's spoiler alert, I wasn't a fan. I wasn't a fan. Let's leave it at that. And then, you know, with England having gone out of the World Cup last week, let's um, have a reflect on on that. And also, God, these, these fans that, that celebrate England going out. I mean, I, I sort of get the old rivalries, but I think some of them, I do think some of them take it too far. I would say this, right? If you've got, if you're, you know, uh, Irish, Scottish or Welsh and and you buy the replica shirt, for games that England are playing against, and then you're kissing the badge of a country that you're not from because England lost to them. 
it really is. Have a, have a look at yourself in the mirror. And what, what I do think is funny is I wonder if they buy like replica shirts for all the knockout games because we actually won a reasonable number of knockout games recently. I wonder if they've got a secret cupboard of like Denmark, Senegal, Germany <laughs> shirts that they never get out. Um, let's do a couple of, uh, let's do Domain Talking Point from last week's show. So we had John... We had John Holmes, John Holmes on the show, and it was a brilliant chat. And if you haven't caught up with that episode, do, because just in terms of talking about where the comedy industry is, it's a real, a real deep dive on that. And, and, and John's got some great anecdotes about, well, I mean, his story about how he got the biggest fine ever in Radio Ofcom history is, is worth listening to uh, itself. Uh, David refers back to radio comedy, and he says, um, a little fact to justify his existence is the Shuttleworths is now become the longest-running sitcom on radio, which has been made exclusively by the same bloke, Graham Fellows, and has been running since 1993. That's a good... I mean, this is the thing, this world of radio comedy. I think if you are... Look, if you're working class, there's a lot bit... There's a big bit of your life where you have no idea, literally no idea about the cultural impact of Radio 4. You just don't know it. I didn't know it. I didn't even know it for the first 10 years I was working in comedy. And then... And then people just start talking about the news quiz and all this stuff. And you go, oh. and then you find out that like, these shows have got three million listeners. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, there's these shows that have been running for, for ages. I mean, there are people like, there are people in Middle England who would literally go on a sort of domestic terrorist campaign if the Archers was moved, right? I think they slightly changed the theme tune a few years back and they were all kicking off. So, so it's amazing. And there is some great radio comedy out there. And like, as I said in the chat with John uh, Holmes, their radio comedy does seem to be the one that's perhaps doing more than any other to get a diversity of opinions involved. Uh, new patrons. So if you're board member level, uh, the, I've sent out reminders about the gifts because uh, the big board member gift, I needed some information first before I can dispatch to you. Those are all getting dispatched now. Unfortunately, if you do get that information to me after this, it will have to be done in the new year, but you will still get them. Uh, there's going to be a Patreon-only episode ne next week, and I will be doing, of course, the Mystic Jeff episode for everybody. Uh, oh, the Christmas special is next week as well. Christmas special with Ramesh Ranganathan. Oh, fuck. The big, big announcement is, so this podcast is going up on Wednesday at 10 a.m., is I have a work-in-progress tour on sale now. It's on sale now from 10 a.m. Whenever you're listening to this, you can go on Live Nation. And what it is is I'm building up for a tour in the autumn of 2023 and spring of 2024, but I need to make sure the shit works, right? So I'll have worked up material and I'm going to take it out on tour. It's going to be a bit cheaper. Uh, the tickets will be a bit cheaper than the normal tour, and that's to give me a bit of latitude when I have to pull out a note uh, or look at my laptop. Or it's, you know, some of it is... I mean, look, the, the thing that you will hear is some of it where even if my audience go, oh, that's a bit fucking rough, Jeff. They, you'll hear the stuff. You'll hear the stuff, that the, the worst stuff, the most cancellable stuff if you come to the uh, Work in Progress tour. I know from memory we've got dates in Guildford, Kingston, uh, Darwin up north. We've got Stockport dates. So it's only 11 to 12 dates. So I've already had a lot of people saying, oh, why aren't you coming to... Um, why aren't you coming to, you know, Shittington on, on the Vase or or wherever? I, there will be a, a massive, massive amount of tour dates coming probably uh, at the end of January. So, but uh, the, the work in progress dates are on sale now. Go on Live Nation or look at my social medias. You'll find a link and uh, see if one of them is coming near you. Um, this is a message from one of my patrons, Nicholas Tall. Uh, he sent me a message saying it's his wife's Sarah's 50th birthday on Wednesday, uh, Wednesday the 14th of December. Uh, 
He said something there that I probably shouldn't read out. Uh, if you could say happy birthday. Uh, of course, happy birthday to Sarah. It would make her day and save my bacon. And you love the episodes, especially the solo episodes. Well, thank you very much. As, as we always say, the solo episodes are one for the purists. And happy birthday, Sarah. Uh, we've got new board member. New board members, uh, Stephen Hewitt and Matt Breakwell. You two sound like... You two sound so like... We've got some older board members, but you two sound like disruptors. Do you know what I mean? Stephen Hewitt. Like, they, you'd have some... You'd have some kind of corporate record that would intimidate intimidate the other board members. Who have you heard about Stephen and Matt guy? They come they come as a pair. Stephen and Matt. They were um, they did stuff in tech. <laughs> what did they do in tech? They developed an app. What was the app for? Look, I don't know. They just do computer stuff, all right. And I'm scared. Okay, I'm 55, heading for 60. New talent frightens me. Um, but Stephen and Matt, welcome to the board, gentlemen. You'll have had your message about your gift as well. Hewitt and Breakwell, I mean, that could be that could be any kind of double act, wouldn't it? It'd be so, maybe like uh you know you know like the two fellas who are in the chemical brothers. I don't name I don't know who they are, but that could easily be their names, right? Uh just Stephen Hewitt and Matt Breakwell. Uh we've got two VIP we've got a VIP as well, although he is a returning a returning VIP is Gareth Thomas, who I have presumed is Welsh, but I have no verification. Okay, let's do a quick thank you and a fuck you. The thank you is to the people of Belfast. I was there last, when was it? Thursday? Thursday, yeah. I was uh, flew out there to Belfast to record an episode of The Blame Game, The Blame Game, which is uh, which is available on iPlayer. And a lot of people have watched it for the first time. It's a funny show. It's got Neil Delamere. Uh, it's got brilliant host Tim McGarry, Diona Doherty, and Colin Murphy are the regulars. And they're so funny. And there's a lot of... There's a lot of banter, but it's not kind of like that force kind of, oh, a bit of banter, ironic banter. It's kind of banter that you hear down the pub. And speaking of pubs, it's one of the things I love about Belfast, right, is that you just, I mean, you generally go out for a drink after a record, a couple of pints, and there's just atmosphere. Whatever pub I've ever been to in Belfast, you open the door and there's that noise. You know, I call it the, you know, like the word hubbub. I call it the pubbub. When you open the door, it's like, everyone's chatting. Do you know what I mean? It's lively, and you sort of think, "Fucking hell!" I know that Northern Ireland has its own issues, like with uh, alcohol problems, compared to the rest of the UK. But fucking hell, I'd be an alcoholic if I lived in Northern Ireland. I'd want to be. I want to be sampling that atmosphere every night. Just it always feels like an event. Um, so I, yeah, I really enjoyed that, and uh, there will be on the main tour, which will get announced at the end of January, as I say, there will be another Belfast day, because I've got to get back to that city and keep up my record, my 100% record of returning from Belfast, a bit hungover. You know, it's a proud record. It, it's my honour. The honour that I do Belfast is that I arrive at the airport in need of a of a salty snack and a, and a nap, really. And the fuck you goes to having a birthday in mid-December. Um, it's the thing about right birthdays in December is, is if you get close enough to Christmas, people are winding down. They can actually make a bit of time for you. You know they might already have finished work. Say it happens between Christmas and New Year, you might have a chance. My birthday is the sixteenth of December, and and honestly, it's not just that it, 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 people don't have time. People are fucking angry with you. <laughs> people are angry with you for having having a birthday. And God, it's just it's just a really bad time, Jeff. It just it's really. Uh, uh, it's just, I mean, just, you know, I'm just feeling, uh, you know, the word, I can understand like people who are, who aren't fucking related to me saying that. Do you know the worst one who I had that from was my mum and dad. I mean, of all, <laughs> of all people, my mum and dad going, oh, gee, your birthday just falls at a really tough. You made me. You, I didn't even exist. 
Okay, let's get into chatting uh, about a few subjects. Let, let's let's start off with a little bit of chat about the the ongoing strikes. All right, so we got we got strikes, strikes happening, Royal Mail strikes, got all sorts of strikes. But look, overall, I mean, what's interesting just before we get into that is the government performance is just not in the news as much strikes sort of exist a little bit outside of that because it's a kind of a bit split isn't it there are a lot of people who support the strikers and think they should be given exactly what they they ask for and there's a lot of people are well you know none of us are going to get those kind of pay rises so so it's not quite as clear cut but in terms of the government performance you know there's a stuff about Michel Moan the Scottish Tory peer I was saying on the blame game about what a tabloid wet dream she is because you know, there's political scandal there with the money that may or may not have gone to her as a result of PPE contracts. But she looks the part and she's an underwear empress. <laughs> so they get to kind of do we're, we're do we're, we're covering politics, but here's six photos of Michelle in stockings. Hey, eh? politics in the politics section. Michelle Moan, the Tory temptress. 36, 24, 36. You go, come on. Don't act like you're not delighted about this story. She's got an alliterative name. Uh, she looks glamorous. There's underwear. You can talk about bras. I mean, it, it, but, you know, there is there is a reckoning happening uh, for that period of COVID. And that's what I said. I mean, I remember talking about it on the podcast at the time is that I think a lot of people understand why the government wanted to act fast. There was this huge demand for PPE. There was a global shortage, but not if you'd have, you wouldn't have thought that if you'd have watched any of the morning breakfast shows in this country. We were apparently the only ones suffering from it. So the government were doing everything they could uh, to get, uh, you know, to get people making PPE. The problem does seem to be that a lot of the people they got to make it were associated with people from the government. I mean, poor old Matt Hancock, the pressure he was under. I mean, he had two separate mates that both wanted the same £10 million contract. I mean, you have no idea the kind of pressure that case was offering. I mean, Matt, Matt Hancock now, he, he's sort of trying to make out that the COVID years were like, it was like, uh, you don't understand, man. You weren't there. I was in Nam. It's like being in Nam. What, Cheltenham? There you go. A little gag there, a little gaggy gag. Um, but the government performance as a whole does seem to have broadly stabilised. Like when you watch the opening of the news at 10, I don't know if you've seen this guy, what's his name, Tom Bradby? Uh, Bradby, he fancies himself a bit, doesn't he? The way that geezer looks at the camera. I'm going to start the news in a weirdly conversational way. He just, what, why, is that your thing, Tom, is it? Hello, this is ITN News and I bet you're thinking, don't bet, what the fuck? Show some dignity, man. Show some class. Talk like Trevor McDonald. That's that's how news is. The Hugh fella. Trevor or Hugh. I don't want to hear this fucking like, oh, oh, you just walked into me doing some news. <laughs> and he started with a, with a headline the other day, and it just made me think just how far we've gone away from the ongoing clusterfuck of the Tory government. He said, is sexism endemic in the fire service? I was like, well, look, you know, it's a subject that needs talking about and being addressed. It's not the biggest opener you've had this year, is it? I mean, I mean, first up in the fire service, what that place that is uh, overwhelmingly male. My first answer is going to be, yeah, probably a bit. There probably is a bit of sexism in anywhere that's got a overwhelmingly male workforce. But it just shows that how how news outlets are are having to cover different news. And we spoke about this on the podcast as well. Was that that you know they were they were addicted to the teat of big news. 
And I wonder if that's an effect of like Twitter algorithm as well, because whatever Elon Musk has done, it makes it harder for one subject to just dominate like it has for most of the year. And however much they may claim it doesn't influence them, there's no doubt. Of all people, journalists are on Twitter more than fucking anybody because it makes their job more interesting and easier, right? So I wonder, I wonder if we're starting to see the dismantling of that period where just just one story would dominate uh, for sort of six weeks at a time. But they'll look back on the Partygate days as the, as the uh, glory era, right? They loved they loved the Partygate days when the news would start and old Tom Bradby would be, is it me or are the government pricks? I mean, <laughs> but Hunt and Sunak, the, diff- the thing is it's harder for them with Hunt and Sunak because they're like them, aren't they? They're much closer to how those people see the world. I mean, the centre-left have got to be, I think, the least revolutionary wing of politics right they don't really want much to change at all they're very they're very static you know they they, they like they like their institutions there's a, i mean you know the, the the tory party has enacted brexit which in itself is quite a radical thing but you know labor experimented with a kind of radicalism under under corbyn but um but it was too rich for the voters taste but the standard sort of new labor default line is they are they are very heavily rooted in their institutions. And, and Hunt and Sunak kind of, you know, Blairite type figures. You know what Hunt and Sunak uh, remind me of? And I do them that order, in that order because that probably is the order of uh, power and influence. Is they remind me of, you know, when you get administrators bought into a football club. <laughs> you know, you see those men in suits just go in one day. The administrators, it'll be old Tom Bradby doing it. Hello. Oh, heard about these administrators. Check this out. I'm young. Um... But you just see those guys going in with briefcases into a football club, you know, Luton Town. Or, and and the, the idea isn't that they're not going to stop them getting relegated. It's just that they're going to stop them going out of, out of business, right? You know, we've got the strikes going on. This is the big thing that is a potential hamstring for the government on one level. Because you've got to understand, not everyone is fully behind this strike action. I mean, maybe more so with the nurses. Maybe less so with the RMT. But it's, it's not hard for the nurses, is it? I mean, it's important for these unions to keep, a, you know, a good level of public support. And for the nurses, I mean, we, everyone loves the nurses. It's a word, I mean, as a verb, to nurse. It's a lovely thing. If someone nurses you, oh, thanks. Thanks for the nursing. Nurses are either kind or sexy. I mean, they... <laughs> They're like, uh, they're like, you know, Puss in Boots in the Shrek film where he does the eyes and everyone goes, oh, that's how everyone feels about the nurses. So they made, um, but even even for them, I think the the prospect of them striking, the public were perhaps surprised that this is a move that they're going to go to. And they made an offer to counter, you know, made a counter offer to the government to negotiate directly with, with ministers. And I think that that's a, pr- a shrewd political move for the unions because they must know that they're not going to do that. It's not how it's done, you know. But it makes it look like, they, well, we try to avoid the strike, but the government don't want to avoid the strikes. But I, I personally, I don't want ministers negotiating directly with unions because it's like, you know, it's like when the Bank of England weren't independent. It, it, it can be used politically. So it can be used politically in one of two ways. You know, you could have a, uh, a future Labour health. Do you want a future Labour health secretary negotiating directly with the unions? They're just going to go, yeah, uh, we gave them, they said they wanted 19%. We've given them 19 and a half and a Bentley. So, because um, they're nurses, we love the nurses. Britain's hardworking nurse. Although, although I say that, uh, Wes Streeting, uh, you know, a politician I'm, uh, I've got a bit of time for on the Labour benches, he, uh, he did an interview with The Telegraph in which he sort of hinted that he wasn't completely just going to buy 
the orthodoxy that the NHS is is perfect. You know, the usual cliches people trot out about the NHS. And uh, I mean, someone must have had a word with him because he stood up in the Commons and it was it was back to the usual things that Labour say about the unions. But I think he'd done his job, really. I, I, I think it's an important thing, certainly for me as a voter, for politicians to 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 not act like they're just... You, you know, they're sort of bowing to the religion that is the NHS. Is We spend a lot compared to... You know, what we spend is is a decent amount compared to other similar countries and our outcomes aren't as good compared. So I need I need a political party that are brave enough to ask why the fuck that is. But do I want a future Labour Health Secretary negotiating directly with them? No, I don't. Equally, the Tories, on the eve of an election, you know, the old Tory... Uh, what is it? Rabbit out of the hat. They just put it. Oh, we've held back those pay rises. Oh, there's, is there an election? Yeah, we are giving the nurses 14%. We think it's time that Britain's nurses... I don't want politicians with that sort of power. And then Mick Lynch, uh, there was an interview that sort of went a bit viral of him with Richard Madeley, which was him, what was it, bodying? He bodied Richard Madeley. You know, he's he's bodying everyone, Mick Lynch. He's like a boxer with, with, with sarcastic comments. Um, but I've started to think with Mick Lynch, you know, I've, I've enjoyed some of his stuff, but as, as I say, I think he's starting to fancy himself a little bit. Um, there was something that he said to Richard Madeley that I think was a bit obnoxious. Richard Madeley was talking about the strikes that are occurring this week. So I think it's the 13th and 14th, and is it the 15th, no, the 16th and the 17th? So essentially, it just fucks this whole week. You know, a week where people are, you know, looking to go out, like going to Christmas shopping, you know, going places, not to mention people getting to and from work. And and I guess that's the plan, right? And so Richard Madeley was saying about the effect on Christmas on businesses and restaurants and so on. And then, um, and then Mick Lynch goes, well, I don't know when your Christmas starts, Richard. Mine starts on Christmas Eve. And I thought, oh, fuck off, Mick. You know what I mean? Like, that's just, so, you, you know the point that he's making is that this is, this is the big week in terms of people's plans, organisation. And, you know, the RMT, you, by all means, explain why you've done it this week. But don't, don't be a smug prick about it. I mean, I don't really want to be on the side where I'm sort of emphasising uh, with Richard Madeley, but, you know, and, and Richard Madeley did a very good job of making himself look like a like a sort of self-regarding prat as well. But I just think there's signs that Mick Lynch is starting to drink the old Kool-Aid. And, and why wouldn't he? Everyone's loving Mick, you know. He's got all the old liberal metropolitan elite. Oh, Mick, I mean, just that guy. You know, it just goes to show that working-class white men can actually not be bastards. I mean, just... You know, him and Eddie Dempsey. Eddie Dempsey. What's that? Did somebody say Eddie Dempsey? Um, <laughs> and, and he said something the other day as well, Mick Lynch, that wound me up. Uh, it, there was a load of uh, cameras being poked in his face after yet another set of talks had broke down. And it was someone who said, oh, Dave Smith, uh, GB News. And he went, yeah, I don't speak to old KGB News. He might not have said that exactly, but he sort of like, he was sort of showboating. And I thought, all right, maybe some of the people who are your members might, you know, uh, I think it's a bit dodgy to com- completely dismiss them as a news outlet. And then it turned out that he'd done an interview of GB News a couple of days previously with Paul Embry. So d- don't give it all that, Mick. You know what I mean? Just just because you've got the cameras there, and you think, oh, uh, opportunity for another little Mick Lynch zinger here. And he's a funny and he's a bright guy, but it, I guess it's inevitable that if you've been lauded by enough kind of sort of centre-left columnists and... And and you know people uh, people in the world of political discourse that you would start to believe your own press. It was just it it was just that comment in particular about Christmas Eve. I thought, all right, you've taken your strike action. I'm open to hearing the reasons, but don't fucking essentially kind of like take the piss.
Okay, uh, just to remind you, yes, I mean, those work in progress tickets, if, you've, if you're struggling for a present idea for somebody, you've got to admit, at this point, especially with rail strikes, it's one of those ones that's quite easy to do in it. Can I, all the presents I get from now on, I want to be stuff that I can do by typing stuff on a phone or device. So there you go, you go that. And you, I mean, the only thing is you might have to then print it out to put it in a card, and that is a ball ache. But, um, but yeah, the tickets are available from now, so go on Live Nation or wherever my social media is posted, and you will find the links. A couple of new patrons here. A couple of new patrons. Charles Wilsden. Charles Wilsden. That's how, I don't know something about your... Uh, have I, have I got that wrong? Have I put in Wills... Is it just like Wilson? Hang about. Charles Wilsden. Because Charles Wilsden sounds like a, like a guy who's in hiding for tax reasons. <laughs> no, Charles Wilsden. Charles Wilsden, that is not your name. You're, you're one of those posh blokes. You're one of those posh blokes that did a bit of fraud, I reckon. Did a five stretch. <laughs> Charles Wilsden. You know there was those guys in the 60s? Those those high society guys that were knocking around in the craze. I reckon that I reckon you're like a guy like that. You know, you're a bit of the black sheep of the family. Got into some dodgy deals. Started started running Charlie through uh, Maltese gangsters. <laughs> and you you were actually called Charles Wilson, but you came out of prison and just put a D in there. Thought nobody will know the true identity of Charles Wilson. I mean Wilsden, Wilsden. Uh, we got Linda Smith Blaine, Linda Smith Blaine. So we got double barrel name. Obviously, thoughts and prayers to the man that had to compromise there. <laughs> but you know, there's loads of reasons why people have double barrel names. What I'm wondering is, Linda Blaine is a very cool name. Um, so I'm wondering whether you were. So if you were Linda Smith and his name was Blaine, if I was you, just because I, I, I'm a big fan of cool names, I would have gone, oh, I'm just going to call myself Linda Blaine now. But maybe you were you were Linda Blaine and you didn't want to change. There was a big old row and you was like, I'll tag on Smith, but I'm keeping the Blaine. Um, but it, does that scan? Yeah, Linda Smith Blaine? Linda Blaine Smith? I mean, Linda Blaine Smith sounds like a writer, like she wrote a Marvel film. Uh, from Linda Blaine Smith comes shoehorned in female superhero. <laughs> you know, Marvel got so far, didn't they, with it only being blokes? And they're like, oh fuck, uh, we need to have uh, a female superhero. Let's have Captain Captain Marvel, but a woman. Uh, we got Ant Man. Let's have Wasp Woman. <laughs> Wasp Woman. We got Iron Man, Iron Girl. Oh no, it sounds like that sounds sexist, doesn't it? Iron In Girl. Let's have, no, let's steer clear of that. Um, just a quick reminder as well, I am on Instagram. I've passed the... T- I know I talk about Tic Tac, but I'm... Tic Tac? Tic God, how much does that sound like some old fart there? Uh, that, that happens now with my son. You know, he's into all these YouTuber influencers. And I've realised that he's my joke. He's my job as a, a dad to do dad jokes and just get stuff wrong. So there's this guy that he likes called Preston. I always call him Prenton. You know, he knows that I know that it's wrong. But, you know, it's part of being a dad. I did actually, uh, just before we move on, I did a dad joke par excellence the other day. We went uh, went for a Sunday lunch. And we went in the pub and the... Uh, just as we were sitting with the waitress, uh, the waitress said to my son, who's six and a half, she said, um, "Oh, I'll, 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 uh, I'll get, I'll get you some crayons." And I went, "Yeah, and can you get some for my son as well?" Hey, <laughs> top dad joke there. My son, he pulled the face. It's the first time I've ever seen him fully pull the your, your fucking lame face, dad. But that's my job. That is part of the job of the dad gag is to fall on your comedic grenade. And it's not the joke that gets the laugh, it's the fact that you're willing to make yourself look silly just to raise a smile among your loved ones. All right, uh, speaking of weird family stuff, let's talk about Harry and Meghan. 
So the Harry and Meghan much-trailed Netflix documentary is out. It's out and it is shit. <laughs> right, let's dial back a bit. Let's dial back a bit. Um, Harry and Meghan, right? So these trailers come out and it's like, I've never seen anything like this for a, for a royal documentary. You know, when you think about the Channel 5 ones, uh, they're just so gentle, aren't they? Just uh, let's enjoy the royal family together. The royal family at Balmoral. The royal family during the wars. The royal family playing croquet over the years. And this one is like, fucking the royal family will end. I mean, it's a trailer like it is for a film and they've got these... Little sound bites coming out of it. One of which was Harry saying, um, "There's a there's a hierarchy in this family." Oh, what really? In a royal family, there's a hierarchy. Harry, fucking, you are dropping bombs tonight, son. What else are you going to tell us, eh? You got what else you said? The, the British used to have an empire as well. Don't, don't know if you heard about that. Oh, what? And then there's other sound bites as well. It's, it's time for us to tell our story. Oh yeah, finally, it really would finally be time to hear. Your story, guys, because we haven't heard any of that. You've been doing nothing but tell your story. They've sold so they've told so many of their stories, right? That at some point Harry is gonna go, fuck them out of stories. And he'll have to like rejoin the Royals on loan. <laughs> or like a Bosman. He'll be out of contract with Netflix. He'll rejoin the Royals, do a couple of years back on the balcony, a bit of waving, he'll be just just waiting, right? Cause someone just say something bigoted now, because uh Netflix, they, they, we need to feed the beast. Anyone, 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 even if you just call me a ginger, that'll do. That'd say something about my kid. No, oh, but babe, I'm going to have to stay in the royal family another year. No one said anything. They're all, weirdly, they're all terrified of us. And, but like, I'm, I'm like, look, I'm going to, I'm going to watch this. I had to watch, oh, oh, the other thing at the beginning as well was that there was a lot of pianos. I don't know if you've seen episode one. It's just piano, piano, piano. It's so hard. Piano, piano, piano. People don't know what it's like to be us. Piano, piano, piano. Oh, fuck off. We've we've had a European war this year. You know what I mean? We we, we left Afghanistan in the shitter. You know? There's a cost of cost of living crisis. And these two pricks, oh, they took away our security policemen. Fuck off. Honestly. Honestly. I mean, I try I tried to watch it, right? I tried to watch it. And it was just so nauseating. It's so nauseating. I mean, they, they're like an alpha couple telling you how they met. You know when you go and see a couple and they have that well-rehearsed way of saying, well, so this is how we got together. So I was just, you know, single, just the girl in the world. And yeah, and I was just, I saw this girl. Oh, this is so vomit-inducing. I can't believe it. Because I'll tell you what, when I saw those two on Oprah, I was surprised that I, I, I didn't dislike it that much. I actually thought, you know, they do seem very much in love and... You know, I didn't feel as, as much antipathy as, as I expected that I might. But the way this has been done, and I know it's not just to do with them and it's about making a TV show, but the the, the sickly sweet way that this is done, it, it, it's a hard watch, I tell you. And, and there's other things that make it a hard watch too. Like, you know, this extended curtsy that, that Megan does where she talks about meeting... Uh, the queen and then she was surprised to find out that she would have to do a curtsy to the queen and she sort of she does this pretend curtsy but it's so sarcastic and prolonged that you even see harry looking at her going all right all right babe uh, that'll do that'll do babe why don't you why don't you neck him babe yeah yeah maybe dial it down a notch megs um but you know you can think it's silly but you're married into it all right and please stop with this bullshit that you didn't know about all this stuff that all about the royal family and how it operates. Oh, oh Harry, Prince who? Royal family who? Buckingham what? Buckingham what? <laughs> Sandry how? What? What's this with the 
they have a royal family in it. Please, Megan. Because there's some stuff that I can empathise with. You know, when they talk about... I do think that there were certain tabloids. I think that the public, the public, by almost overwhelmingly, race didn't come into it with them. If you think about how much people celebrated their wedding day, it was such a positive day, man. It really felt like a moment for modern Britain. But yeah, I've got some time for the idea that in the coverage of them as a couple, there were certain columnists, the way they spoke about Megan. I thought, you are bringing race into it. It does seem to be an issue for you. So I'm like, all right, talk about that. But this this bullshit that she somehow didn't know what the royal family was. <laughs> Come on, we've all seen King Ralph um, and Carrie, you know, bless him. The way he looks at her, you can just see this geezer is, is loved up beyond belief. I mean, every, everyone, I mean, I had a bit on the last tour that I did about this, but he, he's like that guy that you see where, you know, not only does he fall in love with a woman, he, he starts using the same words that she does, you know, if she's if she's vegan, he goes vegan. And then one day he turns up for a going out for a pint. You finally peel him away on his own, and he's he's basically she's dressed him for the evening <laughs> and given him a curfew. He's that guy, and, I, and and you can call me sexist for implying that she exerts that level of control over him. But we all know this from our own lives. We're not stupid. We can see the kind of relationship that it is, and I think there's probably loads of things that she's done for him that is healthy, and maybe reflecting on being such a fucking weird family is no bad thing. But also, she's not stupid right so she says oh well, we're gonna move to canada we're gonna just live a private oh I, you know we've done the canada thing well we've only been here three months should we just move to la i mean like just because it's warmer definitely nothing to do with the tv and film type opportunities that exist in la and then of course you know you have the you have the dialogue that then emerges out of it which is that they people draw a line and the line is that the criticism of megan is racist and and then they go oh, go on go on i dare you i dare you to step over this line say something about megan you go for me, race has never been the issue. Well, I mean, look, xenophobia might because she's American. And and the, the biggest thing I have against her is that she's an actress. I just do not trust actresses. And I'm sorry, this might seem small-minded to me, but women are already blessed with greater intuition than men and ability to, to work situations. You throw in at, at also being able to pretend that you're feeling emotions you know, to a level where you could win, like, you know, an NTA. I mean, she wouldn't win more than that. But, you know, so she might have got an award for suits or something. I'm sorry. I'm deeply... There's two two people I'm suspicious of in the world. is is magicians and actors, all right? And then actresses... I'll tell you something. If you ever show me a female magician, I will run out of the fucking room. Let's do have a quick catch up uh, on the football. On the football, so I was, uh, you know, England. How do we do? We did all right in the group. So they scored a lot of goals. Then we beat Senegal quite comfortably. And I don't, I don't know. I don't think everyone, anyone, had got to that fever pitch of oh, it's coming up. You know, it wasn't like uh, 2018 or indeed the Euros. But but we seem to be playing very well in patches. Um, but I, I, at no point did I, I think that we were definitely going to beat the French. And they have that weird situation whereby the media. Um, try and trump it up into this rivalry. But I don't know about you, I've never really felt that with the French. I mean, I know that there's this historical thing and stuff. I just don't know enough French people, you know? It's not... For a rivalry to really work, you've got to have loads of people at work that annoy you, that come from that place. 
But yeah, most people don't have that. And all the French people I meet are generally really cool. It's not, it doesn't exist on that level. Maybe it's because the people that write newspapers are always to and from France and they harbour all these resentments, maybe think that the French are culturally superior to them and they're intimidated by their cuisine. So for them, it's like, right, let's stick it up the froggies. And I thought, I don't, who fucking uses, I don't, I haven't in my life heard that used as a sort of a racial epithet. It's just not a thing. So we, and, and also the French team, I mean, in the past they've had some fairly arrogant players, but they're pleasingly devoid of arseholes at the moment. And and also the England team too. They just seem like two squads of fairly decent blokes. And I was uh, I was out. I, there, I had some gigs that I was doing, which I, I couldn't pull out of. I had three separate gigs. So London on, um, on Friday night was mental because it was, given that the World Cup was in December, you had like a once-in-a-lifetime mix of of tourists, uh, Christmas shoppers and football fans. And, and Morocco had won earlier in the day and it's become a feature of Morocco winning that a lot of uh, Moroccan expats are driving around, beeping their horns. And and I, I absolutely love that. I absolutely love that. I mean, may, maybe the beeping of the horns were, weren't Moroccan fans. Maybe it was just Christmas shoppers that are really, <laughs> really buzzing that they got the last, uh, you know, piece of exclusive Harry Potter Lego. But the beeping, uh, I mean, the, the Morocco fans were getting a bit, I think they were like letting off, just letting off random fireworks in Leicester Square. So it was, get, it was getting a bit leery, but I think it kept on on the right side. And so I was following um, the match in, in the green room, the sort of dressing room at the gig. And it was funny because the people that had come to the gig, they were either a mix of tourists who just didn't get it or people, you know, English people that didn't like football. But there was also a fair share of blokes who'd evidently been bought against their will and were just slouching their way into the venue and sulking and checking their phone like a, you know, like a teenager that's going on his last ever family holiday. Just, oh my God, it's embarrassing. I'm missing the football, dear. I'm missing the football. And so there was this air of distraction uh, in the gig and then me and the, the compere were sort of keeping each other up to date as we passed each other uh, on stage. It was a really unusual thing um, to do. And then it got into the second half. I was doing the second gig and I'd been watching uh, backstage again and then England got the penalty and the compere was building up to bringing me on and, and he was just doing, you know, keep your phone. So I, I knew that I was going on soon, but it could still be a minute or so. And then um, Declan Rice got barged over, the referee... I don't know what he's got against the English. And I know that a lot of people are saying, well, uh, what are you saying? Fucking, still give you two penalties, like. But um, two penalties that were the most stonewall penalties ever. And the second one, it was almost like we had to beat that penalty out of him like a fucking confession. <laughs> he just didn't well, He was like looking at those replays thinking, I really hope this technology glitches. I do not want to give these pricks another penalty, but um, I guess I'm going to have to. And so it was building up. Uh, Kane had the ball on the spot, and I could hear him building up. And then, and then he runs up and he just skies it. And then literally ten seconds later, the compare goes, uh, "Please welcome to stage, Jeff Norcar." And I went on, and I've never felt so scrambled emotionally in my life on stage. I didn't know. I could tell that there were men in the room that knew or getting like text alerts or WhatsApp alerts from their mates because that's what you do as a as a bloke, wouldn't it? Could, could people keep me updated? Yeah? Because um, then, if you know, if you're looking at WhatsApp, your missus go, "Are you looking at the football?" You go, "No, babe. One of my mates, his missus, has sprained her ankle. I'm disgusted that you would think of me in that way." And uh, there were tuts and sighs and stuff. And so, so there was this period where I was on stage for the first five minutes, where the game was evidently still in the balance. And then, then I heard this noise, <sighs> which meant that the final whistle had gone, or that you know people were just reacting to my comedy. That's not the first time that happened. That would have happened. But then the gig got a lot better. 
the gig got a lot better. And um, yeah, you know, like com- immediately, immediately people needed a laugh. But it was one of the stranger, stranger nights I've ever had, you know, involving comedy and football and this this thing of a World Cup in December. It has been uh, very, very strange. And I don't know if anybody saw it. I had a tweet go viral last week, which was the, um, you know, the guy that they showed on the screen with that really distinctive face. And I said, uh, and he was holding a World Cup and smiling. He sort of looked a bit like Steve McLaren. Uh, Cilla Black and a mixture of those masks that the thieves wear in Point Break. Um, but I said, this guy looks like a Photoshop of about five different people. It's the biggest ever tweet that I've had. And I know that sounds like a minor thing, but there was uh, 7 million people saw it. And um, and it just goes to show that as much as, you know, you, you think that politics and, and all this culture war stuff is what engages people, football, the ability of football to reach an audience is beyond anything. I even got followed off the former Liverpool midfielder Diddy Harman. <laughs> and I really wanted to say to people, I was like, look, I'm, I'm not really like, you know, politic, you know, football content isn't fully my thing. It's more of a politics thing. But, um, but yeah, and, and then he, this guy's become a bit of a, uh, a bit of a sort of national treasure because he just looks like such a nice bloke as well. And he's having a great time. And if you want to give him a follow on Instagram, as you're following me, by the way, on Instagram, where I've finally, finally passed 10,000 followers there. Uh, Do give that guy a follow. And so, yeah, I mean, look, England are out of the World Cup. I know my um, Scottish, Irish and Welsh listeners, not all of them will be delighted about that. A lot of them have settled in England or, you know, I don't think it is exactly like it used to be. But I know that, I mean, I saw saw the video clips of... uh, you know, like Scottish pubs and stuff when the cane missed the penalty. And and, and it, I don't know what to do because I feel like Scottish people would want me to be annoyed by that. But most of me finds it quite funny. And it's almost like we're doing an honour to the rivalry of the past by keeping it going. But like I say, with the, it's the same with the replica shirts. Some guys have got too much into it. I mean, I think you should you can celebrate that. But if you're like standing in front of the screen, giving it the big eyes, you know, like fucking Hulk Hogan, I think you might have got a bit lost in it because... <laughs> I mean, there's sort of like schadenfreude and then there's trying to live vicariously uh, through the French. Okay, that is the end of this week's podcast. We don't have any letters this week. If you if you want to react to anything in the podcast, remember, uh, I will address some of them. I've got Ramesh Ranganathan on next week. So let's put out an appeal here. I only want letters and this is emails to what most people think UK at gmail.com and I only want personal problems right is there anything that you're worried about with Christmas coming up spending time with the relatives have you got any have you got a weird relative always act strange do you know what I mean one that smells a bit funny <laughs> do you know, I don't mean like a, a relative with bad breath but you know some of the, the older ones they have, a, they have a certain aroma is it the mothballs I don't know you know old ladies smelling a lavender that kind of thing is one of you has your wife offered that you'll sleep in the front room or something like that? Are you, are you going to be a bit like Clark Griswold, Chevy Chase? Because it's going to be a Christmassy episode next week. So do any like dilemmas or or problems or things that you want raised about Christmas uh, for me and Romish to talk about is what most people think UK uh, at gmail.com. And patrons listening, obviously patrons will always get priority. Uh, do send me any messages uh, on that subject. It just remains, I made a desperate appeal for um, ratings on iTunes last week. And by God, Lit seven of you responded. Uh, so here are some of the five star reviews. Five stars only, please. Uh, this is from Lazy Clown. Quality weekly show which doesn't shy away from anything. Politics covered without the border. Best comedy podcast, Boy and Moyle. Soliel. I changed to a Soliel podcast uh, accent there at the end because I just saw it. Soliel. I've, I've always toured in Soliel. I'm very big in Soliel. That might be the, <laughs> the worst fucking brag I've ever done in my life. Um, 
More Jeff, please. This is from Steve. Great discussion and thought-provoking news and views. Loves the guests as well. That's from Val and Steve. Uh, Val and Steve. What a solid sort of old-fashioned name of a couple. Yeah, Val and Steve coming. Oh, I love Val and Steve. Val. Val. Oh, when she's at the fizzy, she is uh, She is a riotous. She's hilarious. She's outrageous. Val, you want to keep her away from that fucking Quantro? <laughs> uh, this is from Saturday from Barwella. My dad told me to give five stars so Jeff can get better guests. I don't listen to the podcast, but I've read Jeff's book. <laughs> well, that's very sweet of you doing what your dad uh, what your dad wanted. And it also suggests to me your dad is a complete technophobe. Get on the old, get on the old fucking on the iTunes. Send him a letter. You've got to send a review in to the iTunes. It doesn't work like that, Dad. Just get the address of iTunes, boy, and do it. Um, this is from Alex Andra. Uh, listens from the start. Great variety of guests. Manages the conversation as well. Enjoys the solo episodes too. Thank you very much. Uh, this is from Kieran Taigi. Have enjoyed Jeff's work on radio and TV, but I'm new to his podcast. Really enjoyed Al Murray, Catherine, Ryan, and John Holmes' episodes. Yeah, what a great run that was uh, of guests. Uh, I can all, I can, in the new year, I'm thinking Phil Wang is going to do it as well, so I'm excited about that. Uh, this is from uh, a collection of letters. Uh, like it more fake ads please oh yeah yeah the fake ads so I mean one of the running things on this podcast is that it's weekly and ad free this is what the patrons do and if you think that's a good thing and you want to support it join the patrons which means that you won't have uh, something coming up like this I just I just want to say with Christmas coming up I've I've really really been struggling uh, as to which mince pies to get and there's this incredible range of new vegan mince pies from I don't even know if Mince pies weren't vegan, but there's vegan mince pies and they're called mince lies. And, you know, like bacon and bacon. It's just the great thing about mince lies is that is that they're low in calories and they're and they're uh, so they must have something in them. Otherwise, why would you want to fucking eat them? But mince lies uh, are just they're what my family will be eating this Christmas. Mince lies. Did that seem conversational enough? Um, We've got Richard Knowles in Sheffield. Uh, all right, Sheffield. Not only do you have Jeff's humour and reflections on politics and life in general, but also a uh, great benefit of listening to his interviews with a great variety of interesting guests. He's brilliant on the podcast and certainly well worth seeing. Oh, we've got more of you. We had a lot of reviews. Thanks, folks. I uh, discovered the podcast after watching Jeff on Countdown. I didn't realise it. I realise that assumes I'm old, stuck in an armchair and smell of piss. Uh, it doesn't... Well, yeah, it does a bit. It does a bit. Uh, the podcast is very random, entertaining, and does not take any topic too seriously. Uh, and there's another five stew from Mara Mara. Yes, love this podcast. Jeff is actually funny and his guests are pretty varied and always interesting. My only complaint would be the audio settings. Yeah, I'm trying to get it up louder. That's a fair shout. I will do that. Um, so those are the recent five star reviews. Thank you to all of you guys. As I say, next week uh, is the Christmas special. That'll be going up, I think. It might be going up a little bit later. It might be Thursday or Friday. But have a great week. I hope that you get uh, to Christmas shopping, doing, you know, I hope, I hope you somehow fucking uber your way to your christmas party or if you just walk do you know what i mean just walk to your office do just get just get pissed find a way beat the strikes cross the picket line and get drunk uh this has been what most people think i'll see you next week